This is On Location. I'm Joe Mamlin. Today's episode was recorded on location at the NCA Policy Forum at the JW Marriott in beautiful downtown Washington, D.C. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with support from committee co-chairs Robbie Endress and Judith Green, with special help from the podcast subcommittee chair, Tim Leitner. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. Today's episode is hosted by Pat O'Donnell and is a conversation with this year's NCAU instructors, Aaron Frisch and Wally McClure. They discuss NCAU, how to get involved, and what to expect. They also share their thoughts and ideas on leadership and how developing better child support professionals leads to better outcomes for families. It's going to be a great episode, so stick around, and we'll be right back. you today from the NCA Policy Forum taking place at the JW Marriott in downtown Washington, D.C. Today we'd like to share information with you about an upcoming educational opportunity within the child support community, NCAU. NCAU is the premier educational offering for leaders and emerging leaders in child support. NCAU returns for the seventh year in 2020 and will be held in conjunction with the 2020 NCA Leadership Symposium in Anaheim, California, which will be held on August 9th through the 12th. The theme, Engagement Strategies for Improving Program Performance, will focus on how leaders, both current and emerging, effectively advance the mission of the Child Support Program. Areas covered will include how to use successful engagement strategies to improve child support programs, change management and other pro uh, project management principles, and each student will develop a strategy to improve one aspect of engagement to help improve outcomes for their own child support program. This is a very robust agenda, and here to share more about the program are our NCAU 2020 instructors, Aaron Frisch and Wally McClure. Aaron is the Senior Chief Deputy Director for Opportunity for the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And Wally McClure is the former director of the Division of Child Support for the State of Washington, and currently the proprietor of Raven's Wing Consulting. So welcome Aaron and Wally, and thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Pat. Thanks. Aaron, do you want to kick us off? Can you tell our audience a little, about, a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I 
uh, started in the child support program actually as a vendor uh, on the system side. I worked for Accenture for 12 years and we maintain the child support enforcement system in Michigan. Uh, and I got to a point in my career where it was time to make a decision about uh, if I wanted to move into the partner track at Accenture or if I wanted to do something else. And the 4D director in Michigan at the time is a woman named Marilyn Steffen, who is an incredible leader. Uh, and she asked me if I would be interested in coming to work in the child support program. And at that point, I had um, sort of three goals in mind that I wanted to achieve in the next step in my career. One was uh, I really wanted to work for a leader that I admired and respected and uh, wanted to learn from, and Marilyn was that person. Uh, I wanted to have a bigger impact on families and you can only do so much from the technology side. Uh, and third, I really decided that um, public service was what I was being called to, rather than, let's be honest, sell more technology from the vendor side. Uh, and so an opportunity opened up as the director of operations in the child support program in Michigan, and I did that for a year. Uh, I started on Halloween. Uh, in January, Marilyn told me she was retiring. Uh, and the following October, and almost a year to the day, uh, after having been there in that director's operations role, I became the child support director. And I've been doing that now since uh, 2012. Um, I've just spent the last year uh, in what I'm calling an experiment as the senior chief deputy for opportunity in the department, where I've had uh, responsibility over basically all the human services programs in the department. Uh, but I am happy to say that effective uh, March 2nd, I am coming back to my home in the child support community, uh, and we'll be returning full time as the child support director. And we're delighted to hear that from a child yes. support perspective, yes, we so are. thank you, thank you. <laughs> Wally, would you like to share a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. So um, uh, I, for a few years after college, I taught and then uh, counseled juvenile felons. Um, uh, that work, you know, takes its toll. And, and uh, so I started looking for something else to do, and I kind of stumbled into child support. I'm a much more late bloomer than Erin, I think. She had, like, plans and goals. I had get out of... Um, the institution and go do something else. So, so I wound up in child support as a as a case manager. You know, I was establishing and, and enforcing child support obligations. Um, this was in 1988, and it was a time of huge growth for child support. Um, and so there were lots of opportunities. And it wasn't long before I was first a lead worker and then a supervisor of a unit that was doing what I had been doing. Um, uh, and then a really great opportunity came along a couple of years after I began supervising where somebody who was in the policy unit wanted to come back and get some field office experience. And so he and I swapped places for a year. What he didn't tell me was, and, and I didn't have the, the, the forethought to ask about, he had invented a program in Washington called the Paternity Acknowledgement Program. And so this gave parents, everybody knows this now, an opportunity to sign an acknowledgement which we could use to establish support without doing paternity tests. And the feds had decided that this would be a good thing for every state to do. And so as we swapped places, every state was calling me thinking they would get John. <laughs> and, and so this was my introduction to policy. At the same time, UFSA had was replacing Eurisa, and so my other task during that year was to write the Washington State 
uh, UFSA policy. So, so like trial by fire, learning those things. And, uh, and, and another opportunity opened up, a permanent opportunity to run at that time, to run the uh, manuals and forms and training group for, um, for the division. And so I took that on and got a permanent gig ultimately uh, uh, in headquarters, um, stumbled somehow into IT and, and, um, and it was while I was the, the chief for um, Child Support's IT shop uh, that um, my boss, David Stillman, uh, the director for Child Support, asked me to step in temporarily in his role just weeks after I told him I never wanted to do his job ever. <laughs> and and so, uh, so as I sat in there knowing I wasn't going to do this job on any kind of permanent basis, I began th thinking about what child support could be like um, uh, I had plenty of time to do that because the temporary role went from April to like November. And by the time, you know, the job opened on a permanent basis, I was ready to apply and didn't and wound up as director for seven years. So, um, so, so, you know, more like a pinball than a guided, you know, the guided <laughs> missile that Aaron is. But, uh, um, but that was, that was sort of how I got here. Well, thank you. Uh, very different stories, but very wonderful outcomes for both of you. So as you move into considering your roles as instructors for NCAU, can you share with our listeners, what is the purpose of NCAU? Sure, so I, uh, it's funny, we just did a information session this morning uh, at, here at the, leader, or at the policy forum, and I think of the purpose of NCAU uh, was well um, articulated by NCAU's president, Angela Gray, when she said, we're here to, what did she say? Um, prepare for and call the next generation of leaders. Uh, and I think NCAU um, at its heart is really about that. How do we um, identify and, and uplift and support uh, the next generation of leadership in this program? Yeah, I think it's our responsibility as leaders, you know, in our own programs to, to identify and, and help foster those folks who are, um, who are, you know, our replacements. And so as an organization as well, I think that same obligation and, and kind of a unique opportunity and perspective is, is here with NCIA to do that same thing. Great. Uh, who, should, who should think about participating in NCAU and how are participants selected? Want to start? Sure. So, um, so I'll take the easy part. Who should participate? Anyone who finds themselves in a role of leadership um, or aspires to do that, I think, could benefit from it, especially in the you know people in the child support world, um, uh, because it affords them not an opportunity, not only an opportunity to learn about leadership, but also to connect with other new leaders and aspiring leaders and and uh, build upon that. And in terms of who's selected or how people are selected, uh, the class size is limited to 30 folks so that we can make sure we get good interaction and engagement and it's not too unwieldy for Wally and I. Uh, and uh, I understand, I think, that um, applications can be entered starting in March. Uh, and so once all those applications come in, there is a committee uh, at NCIA who will look at that, those applications and really make sure we have a good, diverse group of folks that are part of the uh, class. Uh, you do need the support of your 4D director in your state, so I encourage folks, 
um, to make sure that they are talking to their uh, local leadership and getting that support. Um, but really, I echo what Wally says, anybody who has an interest in leadership. Great. So what does successful engagement in the child support program mean to each of you? Gosh, I, um, Wally and I um, are uh, of similar minds around this, I think, uh, which is what's going to make this class really fun. Uh, so when, when I came into the program, I was having a similar thought to what Wally had in terms of there's a different way to do this. There's a way to do it that's um, more about how are we helping people and less about how are we holding them accountable. Not that we still don't want parents to be responsible for their children, absolutely. So when I think about what successful engagement looks like, it's about how are we building relationships with people. And those are people everywhere in the program. It's not just um, our relationships with uh, parents, but those parents' relationships with each other, our relationships with our employees and how we're working together, relationships, uh, external partners and the legislature. Uh, and I, I happen to believe that if you start with a strong relational foundation, you can make significant impact into improving the performance of your program. Right, and it's a big web, right? I mean, so, so each of those threads that Erin just mentioned you know, our relationship with engaging the public and engaging the legislature and engaging our partners who could help us if only they knew that we cared and, and that they care about us even though they don't know they care and, and then engaging our employees. Any of those threads, you know, you pull, if, if, if they're not there, then it doesn't work. So you need the employees to be supporting, you know, this, this new view of child support um, uh, and come along with you and be a part of it and, and because, you know, one bad phone call and, and that's a constituent call to the legislature and they're saying, oh, you didn't do what you said you were doing. Um, uh, the legislature, you know, creates the, ultimately creates the policy that you're going to live by and if they're going off in some other tangent, then you're not going to get there. If the public doesn't believe in what you're trying to do, if you haven't engaged them, then um, then the legislature isn't going to care about what you're doing because that's where they get their opinions from mostly. And, and uh, um, they won't become your, your customers if they need your services because you're bad instead of good. Mm -hmm. So it's just this, this uh, huge web of things that all have to work together kind of simultaneously. That makes perfect sense, yeah. We See, know. I told you I made sense. <laughs> We know that the child support program engages so many stakeholder communities in a, on a very diverse basis. So how does understanding the why of each of the stakeholder objectives help emerging child support leaders formulate impactful strategies? Yeah, I think the why is everything, right? The, I agree. The, yeah. the vision, the, the values, the why we do things is, is where you have to start. And, and so when you're engaging with partners, it's the, that mutual why. Right, it's not why child support is there. It's a it's a higher um, plane of why that matches up with what their values are as well. Yeah, I found that um, I have started leading with what our organizational values are when I'm talking to partners and being real clear about that because I firmly believe if we don't have alignment on values. Um, then we might not have alignment in terms of where we are able to work together effectively. Uh, and I have found that uh, my partners 
sort of value sort of putting the cards on the table at the beginning and saying, hey, this is what I'm about. And even if we're not perfectly aligned, if on a value perspective, we're valuing the same things, it helps us move forward in terms of what that relationship looks like. Uh, and, and those relationships can open doors to places you never thought about going as a child support person. Uh, and so I think that's where uh, some of the exciting innovation comes from in this program. Change is such a constant in our world. How will NCAU uh, prepare participants to lead through successful change management in their areas of responsibility? So I think Wall and I recognize that uh, whenever you're talking about improving your program and you want to talk about how engagement can help do that, you're talking about change. Uh, and so we will spend some time talking about um, how do you continuously improve in a way that is a positive experience for folks. So I'm the first one to say I love making change happen to other people. Mm -hmm. Not so much interested in change <laughs> happening to me. Yep. Um, and so how do we um, build those skills for folks just so they know what to look out for, what conversations to have in advance. Uh, so that that continuous improvement mantra just becomes a regular part of how they do work. And also to realize that we all kind of like change. It's, it's, we just don't like, as Aaron was, was implying, we don't like change to happen to us. You know, but, but if we go out shopping for a new car and it wasn't because we were forced to get a new car, we kind of like that. You know? right. we, so, right. so change isn't always bad. It's just a, it's just a matter of, of the circumstances. And so... Um, um, engagement, again, uh, is all about, you know, convincing people that this is in their best interest and they want to participate in it. Sure. As we get in, as we've talked about communication a little bit, what have you found to be some of the most effective communication strategies to really educate the various stakeholder communities in child support? For example, the legislature, the public, the advocacy groups, and the parents who we work with in these programs every day. So we heard something really interesting yesterday um, uh, during a session here at NCA where um, somebody was talking about uh, custodial parents who don't want to ruin the lives of the non-custodial parent. And I had been focused a lot, um, that, was one of, that was an epiphany for me. Um, uh, not that not that they wanted to do that, but I but a connection happened where I started to think. Okay, so I've been trying to message to non-custodial parents that we're not, you know, we're not just these evil bill collectors. But I hadn't thought about that same message being useful for the entire customer base. Um, uh, and that's I think that's the key also to all of the partners and to the legislature is that. You know, we're kind of multifaceted. If we're talking about whole family, if we're talking about trauma-informed experiences, if we're talking about those things along with the fact that we're very cost-effective, we're basically a free program, um, uh, even from a legislative point of view, then, uh, um, then all of those things to help, get help with that conversation. And again, it resonates with advocates and it resonates with, with sister organizations, I think, to talk about um, everything that we're doing in those terms. Mm -hmm. And I have found when we're thinking about um, communication strategies, it pays to do your research and know your audience and ask them, have dialogue with them about uh, what's important to them because 
you can talk till you're blue in the face to a certain group, but if you haven't connected with them and what's important to them, whether it's external or internal or parents or legislators, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting that message across. And so um, I have come to appreciate the value of doing your homework ahead of times and figuring out what it is that will resonate with your audience. I, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about how child support is an anti-poverty, you know, um, a proactive approach to helping with the problem of multi-generational poverty. And, and so um, a speaker from Washington was here yesterday uh, from our TANF world. And, and she said, are all of your conferences like this? Because we've been talking the whole time about poverty and, you know, and, and uh, breaking that cycle. And she was, even though she's heard me and she's heard, you know, uh, about what we're trying to do, this, this program that we're, we have right now blew her mind. She did not expect 500 child support professionals to spend all of their time for three days talking about breaking the cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been a really excellent conversation, and I think a lot of different points of view have been raised and certainly given me quite a bit to think about. Um, as we go forward and as you talk with your students at NCAU, are there any specific outreach initiatives that you would suggest they consider as they build their communication strategies? Uh, so we're doing an experiment in Michigan, uh, and I got a hunch it's going to be a good thing, but I don't know that for sure yet. Uh, and it has um, been born out of thinking about equity and disparity and how do we uh, engage the folks who are using our services or not um, in conversations around what policy decisions we should be making, because they're the ones who are ultimately impacted. Uh, and so we've, we're starting these advisory groups, not quite focus groups, because I think there's a difference between just asking somebody, what do you think about this, and, and asking them, help work collaboratively, collaboratively with us to develop what this policy could look like and help us think through what are the impacts to moms and dads, to different income levels, to different race, um, geography. Uh, and so I'm really excited about uh, this experiment we're going to try uh, and also appreciating, uh, in general, this program sometimes is like, I don't want to ask parents what they think of how we're doing because I know what phone calls I get every day and they're not fun. Uh, and I think we need to overcome that initial fear we have about actually talking with folks who use our programs about what works for them and what doesn't. So, so um, I see outreach kind of in, in multiple ways. The, the one where we're engaging the, the, um, the public and, and letting them know what we're about. And, um, you know, we've had school outreach programs and we've had um, programs that go out to prisons. All of those are, are really great things for, for engaging that, for engaging those folks. And, and they work, they're, they're very powerful. Um, as far as partners are concerned, I see that as outreach too. And, and that was a huge um, um, amount of work initially, for, you know, finding out all of the community-based organizations in our state and what they do and which ones were kind of relevant to what we do and, and being very open in how we translated that, that, that process. 
um, making sure that they believed, this was the hardest part, making sure that they believed that we were telling them the truth, that we really were interested in transforming the lives of the whole family and not just, you know, collecting money and moving it from one parent to another. Um, uh, to the point, ultimately, this is, this, is, this is how well it worked, our best referrals for parents who had barriers to pain came from those organizations. They would have a parent sitting across from them saying, I've got these, you know, one of my barriers to getting a house or getting food or whatever it is that they were talking about is, you know, child support has my license or they have, you know, or they're taking 50% of whatever wages I earn as soon as I start to earn it. And so they would call us and, and we would make sure that we responded you know, in a way that helped that parent. And then the light started to flip, you know, it was, it was it's like a very old um, fluorescent light that you flip on and it kind of uh, flickers for yep. a while before yep. it starts to glow and then finally it comes, it was like that. But uh, but we got there, you know, with some of them, you know, so it wasn't, and, and I'm sure they're still working on this with, you know, the 2300 or whatever community-based organizations in the state. Uh, you know, we have a few that are believers now, you know, so it's a slow process. And, you know, um, but, but once they start to believe that you really are working with them and not against them, and really are working for the best interest of the whole family and not against the, the non-custodial parent, I think things really start to happen. Yeah, that reminds me, I feel like sometimes we ourselves in, our, in the child support program like to tell ourselves a story about um, how uh, service-oriented we are, how we're helpful, we're a helping organization. You know, almost everybody I talk to in this program is here because they want to help families and children. And yet, when I hear folks who aren't part of this program talk, that is not what they are saying, right? And so I think we got to be honest with ourselves about what we're, what we aspire to be, and what we actually are. The good friend who uses the the phrase. Uh, be, do, say. First, you got to be who you want to be. Then you got to act in that way. And then you get to talk about what you're doing. But if you start with the say before you do the be or the do, it can get um, a little hypocritical or a little disingenuous because, yeah, that's what you want to be. But if that's not what you're doing, people will figure it out quickly. Mm. So as students come into NCAU, They'll be bringing a lot of different skill sets with them. What skill sets do you think are most important for them to focus on as new and emerging leaders? Um, I once uh, gave a talk at one of the NCA leadership symposiums about authentic leadership. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is I don't think there is necessarily a most important skill or skills. I think what is most important is that you understand your own strengths and you figure out how to use those strengths uh, in your leadership style. And I encourage folks, uh, and I've had to remind myself recently that um, you know, your strengths are, are your gifts and to put yourself in an environment where those gifts are valued and recognized and you're able to use them, to me is more important than saying, okay, you need to be a good communicator or a good change management or change agent or like just be who you are. Great. I think that's really good advice. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now I have to throw my answer away. No, <laughs> I, I was going to say empathy and because mm -hmm. and, I think that's very important regardless of your other skills. I think that 
that recognizing people as human beings first, whether they're the people that report to you or the, whether they're the parents that we're working with or whoever, uh, um, is super important. And being able to relate to them on a human-to-human -human level um, uh, is a vital skill. So be yourself, but be human. Mm -hmm. And be yourself and be human. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can be both. <clears throat> so you've both had incredibly successful careers in child support. You make a positive, a positive difference in the lives of so many across really hundreds of thousands of families. So if you were to think of three characteristics for yourself that enabled you to move forward in your career, what would they be and why are they important? So for me, this builds on our, our last answer because I think um, the, the things that have been most important uh, in my career have been um, human connection, uh, which we can call empathy, we can call relational leadership, right? But um, recognizing the humanity in ourselves and each other um, and being okay with uh, the uncomfortable spaces. Um, when you are making change, there are going to be uncomfortable spaces. And uh, I have come to appreciate that those uncomfortable spaces usually are a growing edge, either for myself or for the group or for the organization. And so how do we lean into those growing edges in a way that is um, supportive and helpful and not harmful? Uh, and then I think the third thing is, uh, I go back to being yourself. So I would add to that vision. I would say that on top of the, those things that Aaron just spoke of that I completely agree with, having a clear vision of what you want to get to and accomplish and being able to describe that uh, is awfully important. And then, um, and then believing in it, believing in what you're doing and, and knowing that what you're doing has value um, and is important and, and kind of internalize what you're trying to achieve. Great, thank you. From my perspective, I think the incoming students for NCAU 2020 are incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to spend two full days with each of you and learn from you. Uh, you've got so much to share awesome. and you've got so very much of an impact on the next generation of leaders, which is, you're right, Aaron, where we need to focus. So I'd like to extend my appreciation to you, Aaron, and to you, Wally, for today's conversation on 2020 NCAU. Don't forget that registration is available in mid-April for the Leadership Forum in beautiful downtown Anaheim, California, at the Marriott, beginning on August 9th through the 12th. I'm Pat O'Donnell, and we are so thrilled that you could join us for this important conversation, and we look forward to seeing you in Anaheim. Thanks again. Thank, Thank you, Pat. Pat. Thanks again to Aaron and to Wally for making time to be on the podcast. And thanks very much to Pat O'Donnell for hosting. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcast. We have a lot of great things on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our episodes. 
We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. On Location is a production of the INSEA Communications Committee, with support from committee co-chairs Robbie Endress and Judith Green, with special help from the podcast subcommittee chair, Tim Leitner. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Joe Mamlin, and this has been On Location. Thank you.